1: Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast. This week, I'm very glad to say that we are joined by Anna Smith. Hello, Anna.
2: Hello, Mark. Good to be here.
1: Yeah, is this the? F- this isn't the first time you've been on the Kermode on Film podcast, is it?
2: It is. I've been on stage with you but on MK3D, but I haven't been on the podcast.
1: Well, I'm sure that's a terrible oversight. And uh, welcome to the podcast. Anna, of course, people will know through the Girls on Film podcast. How is that going?
2: Really well, have to say. Um, yeah, we're, it's we're having a great time in award season because, as you know, a lot of women have been nominated. So we've been celebrating all the fabulous female directors nominated for Bastards and Oscars. And yeah, you know, our listenership's growing and a lot of people are sort of joining us and we're still getting great guests um, sort of mixing up. The, the the fun feminist chat was quite serious stuff because the films like promising young women that bring up some pretty serious issues. So we had a police chief on talking about that and um, activists. So yeah, it's all going well.
1: There is something remarkable about the fact that when when two women were nominated best director at the Oscars, it felt like carnival time. And you think this is the ninety third Oscars and two women getting nominated is is okay, it's great, but it shouldn't be a news story.
2: It's sort of a hollow victory, isn't it? It's, a, it's, it's ridiculous, really, that, that we're clinging to these straws saying, isn't this exciting? You know, it's only like the, the sixth and seventh women in history to be nominated. But uh, baby steps, as they say. And, it was uh, like
1: that feeling that after Catherine Bigelow had won, it was like, OK, we've done that now. Now, you know, on we move.
2: And then 11 years later, you know, he's still waiting. So, yeah, this could be the year.
1: Well, look, I'm a big fan of the Girls on Film podcast and it's lovely to have you on. The thing that I've asked you to talk about is because everyone's had uh, the same experience pretty much of lockdown, no one's been able to go anywhere. I know that we're coming out of the end of lockdown. By the time people are listening to this, people may actually have started to go somewhere. Um, Imagine that. But one of the things that I think we've both been doing is going places through the movies. And I asked you to do like a top five... You know, travelling without travelling through 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 the movies, and this kind of came off the off the back of a suggestion by um, two of our uh, brilliant uh, uh, producers and contributors, um, and it kind of tied in with something that I had thought, which was that when I was a kid, I was taken to see Krakatoa East of Java. And I've never been very well travelled, but I've seen a volcano explode with an airship flowing over the top of it. And I thought, okay, that's so we've done our top five travelling around through movies. What I'm going to do is the same as I've done before with Jack. We're going to alternate if we happen to come up with the same title, which incidentally, I think is very unlikely. Then we'll both talk about them at the same time. It's not in it's not in a particular order, but we'll just do five to one. So I'm going to start, Anna by throwing to you and saying give me your number 5 travelling around the world during lockdown through movies
2: so the first one i've picked is hunt for the wilder people from 2016 new great zealand great
1: choice great <laughs> choice so why to tell me about why you love it
2: well, I love New Zealand. I'm lucky enough to have been many times because my husband's actually half Kiwi. So we have family there. Um, but I actually was lucky enough to cover Hunt for the Wilder People's Locations for The Guardian. So we went out there, we went to the places where it was absolutely filmed. And it was it's, it's all in, mostly in the North Island around Auckland, but obviously from the film, um, which obviously is about um, a grumpy foster uncle played by Sam Neill going out into the wilderness with, his, with Ricky played by Julian Dennison. So it's very much about exploring the bush and very remote locations, but they're absolutely stunning. Majestical, as they call it in the film. So we went on these wonderful walks and around Bethel's beach, absolutely stunning. Um, And what I really liked about this trip is that we actually got to meet some of the local people in whose houses that it was filmed. So there was this amazing artist called Vicky Bethel, and she and her dogs came out to meet us and showed us around the farm. And they were so excited to have an English journalist visiting them. And, you know, they were so hospitable. Um, And it was just... It's absolutely beautiful, but I think what the film gets across about New Zealand is that hospitable spirit and that also that no-nonsense sense of humour that the Kiwis have, which I think the Brits actually really relate to, that there is a sort of kinship there. Um, and it, it's just a stunning film and also a really good lockdown watch because it's so funny and uplifting and it's about compassion and community.
0: Who's that Crocodile Dandy guy over there? Oh, that's my husband, Hector. Whoa. He's giving that pig a piggyback. Well I see he has a rifle. Just keep it away from this little guy. God knows what he's capable of. Okay, he's all yours. No returns, I'm just joking. Okay, you've got my number, so just uh, ring me if you've got any trouble, okay? Bye Ricky. Bye Ricky. Wow, what a shocker, eh? Okay, let's go, Andy. Okay, this is heck. You can call him uncle if you like.
1: No, he can't. Only Sam Neill could deliver... No, he can't. And the other thing is, I've never been to New Zealand. I mean, funnily enough, one of the things I've just finished doing is we watched all three Lord of the Rings films in the extended version. So that's like 14 hours of viewing. And of course, to me, that's New Zealand, right? Because I've seen this kind of wonderful version, but I've never been. I've been to Australia for um 19 hours. I went all the way to Australia to interview Baz Luhrmann for 90, and then I came wow. back home again. that's the yeah, shortest
2: so, trip I've heard of anyone going know, to Australia. It's just, that's
1: insane. Just <laughs> terrible. And so I, when people say, have you been to Australia? I tend to say no, because, I mean, I have technically been there, but I've never been there. I'd love to go to New Zealand. You must. It's I as just,
2: beautiful as Lord of the Ring makes it look. It is that beautiful. It's fantastic. Yeah.
1: And it's I mean, also the, the the thing about it is, it's the. I know this is a foolish thing to say, but it's photogenic landscape. There are some places that are beautiful, but you put them on camera and they don't actually look that great. But New Zealand, as I said, I've only ever seen it on film, looks amazing and so many different terrains. And I love that film. We played that at at the Shetland Film Festival the year that it came out. And it was the runaway success of the year. We were turning people away from Hunt for the Wilder people. They They just loved it okay well i'm going to give you my first one which is kind of sad by comparison because it's much closer to home so my number five is no limit which is the george formby movie about uh the tt races and the reason that i bring this up and i i, I mention this movie more often than i should do is my family's from the isle of man and i love the isle of man i obviously haven't been able to go to the isle of man you know all the way during lockdown because they've closed their borders and um And we would usually go there at least, you know, once a year, maybe twice a year and go there for the Isle of Man Film Festival. I still have relatives there. Uh, No Limit is, I think, the only comedy set and shot on the Isle of Man until recently we had, uh, you know, Mindhorn. And Mindhorn was remarkable because not only was it shot on the Isle of Man, which quite a few films are, it was actually set there most movies that you think of like waking ned waking ned was shot in the isle of man it's shot in craig Nish, but it's not set there it's set in set in ireland so there are very few films which actually go look we're shot in the isle of man and we're actually set in the isle of man so when we're doing this thing about going around the tt course we're not pretending that it's somewhere else there's a when they had the you know Stormbreaker, the bits in cornwall there that's the isle of man that's not cornwall that's port Erin beach i mean you can actually see milner's tower and so I've just got this, and it used to be played all the time. My mum always used to talk about, you know, how, how much affection there was. For me, it's, a, it, it's, it's not a brilliant film. There are things wrong with it. But it's just a film that is actually set and shot in the Isle of Man. And it's, it is really funny how, when we were doing Secrets of Cinema, we included it in the British comedy section, and so we was able to look at a copy of it. And then I immediately, when the programme went out, I got a note from my... Cousin Peter, whose father had sent him a note from somebody who had worked on No Limit because I'd mentioned it on the telly. They said, oh, send this on to Mark because this is the thing. I was one of the stunt motorcyclists in it. So it's not New Zealand. It's the Isle of Man. But it, that's my New Zealand at number five.
0: That's streamlined, that is. Says Why? Don't you believe me? I, if you swear to it, finger wet, finger dry. Finger wet, finger dry. <laughs> <laughs> now go on, show that's enough. Go on, butt off, I'm finished. Let's oh, go, no. Let's stay. We want to see you riding. All right, well, no mucking about and keep quiet. You see that fellow over there? That's Tilsley. He rides a rainbow bike. I'll show you how they ride it, TT. Now stand back a bit. Don't get too close in case it goes off.
2: That's armchair travel, isn't it? As you say, a place actually being itself rather than trying to represent somewhere else. So you're yeah. genuinely going there. Yeah.
1: Yes. And for me, you see, this is a really big thing. There are lots of places that look like lots of other places. And, you know, like whenever you see um, uh, quite often, for example, you have a film that's set in Cornwall, but they shot it in Devon. There was a conversation recently about The Dig, and I was talking to Simon Mayo about it. And he said, well, it's brilliant because, you know, it's the Suffolk landscape. and It's not shot in Suffolk. I mean, he's talking about the great Suffolk skies and the great. It's not shot in Suffolk. It's actually shot somewhere else. I mean, there are some establishing shots. But there is just something lovely about a location that actually is the location. And again, that works for Hunt for the Wilder people because it is where it is. There was a documentary that Sam Neill presented about New Zealand cinema, which I think was called The Cinema of Unease. And Sam Neill said in it famously that all New Zealand cinema is about one of two things it's about people stuck in a small town going mad or it's about people running away from the small town in which they are stuck in case they go mad
2: <laughs> that's <laughs> <I don't> that's <laughs> pretty true i think i mean more recently there's been a little bit of a sort of comedy resurgence where people in their small town are doing crazy things like the breaker is, i think but yeah prior to that i would say that would be absolutely true
1: Okay, your number four.
2: Um, So my next one actually is another one that is filmed very much where it's set. And in fact, the name suggests it's much. It's Luxor. From last year, Zena wow. Dara's film, so filmed in Egypt, actually very topical at the moment because they have just had a massive archaeological discovery in Luxor. Um, what they, they found this incredible like city, like they're calling ancient Egypt's Pompeii, and there are actual archaeological digs um, in the film Luxor. It stars Andrea Riseborough as a surgeon who's facing some trauma really, and she goes to Luxor for a holiday what I like about this is when she checks into the hotel it's very much like you're checking in with her and I watched mm. this last year when we were in lockdown I was thinking I want to go to a, a grand but slightly faded hotel and, and check in and have you know a slightly dodgy experience at check-in but then go to the bar and speak to random people in the evening you know just all the things that you do as a tourist especially traveling on your own in a strange country and um, it felt very vivid it's not overly soundtracked so when she goes out into the streets you can really hear the place you know you can you can smell it and it really was i mean we interviewed um zaina and her cinematographer for girls on film and they did go out there and they filmed it very much there they had access to amazing places absolutely beautiful um, historic locations so yeah luxor really recommend that if you want a bit of armchair travel
1: the other thing about that movie which re- really stays with me were well, two things firstly that the whole film has a sort of slightly dreamy quality because there's a kind of sense of ghosts and people that you've met that you're not sure whether you met and you may have met them before. And there's also that completely strange scene in which Andrea Riseborough does... She expresses herself through the medium of modern dance in the middle of the hotel. And it's it's completely strange, but it kind of works within the context of the film because the film's got this... it's Because it's around the archaeological dig and it's got this whole brooding sense that there is stuff that's buried that's coming back up again and she's sort of walking through... The memories of the past and the location is absolutely brilliant for that.
2: It's bewitching, isn't it? I do think she's she's meant to be very drunk in that point, but I but I um I did take it as a bit of sort of character drawing on her part that that she is meant to be quite an eccentric character. But as you say, it all adds to that slightly mysterious um, sense, which I think really works with the location for that film.
1: Do you think that the location informed the making of the film? I mean, do you, from from your conversations, was mm. it was the, was the script informed by the place?
2: Um, not entirely, because Zena actually told us that she had a dream which inspired the film. And that the dream was more about what the character herself, Hannah, was suffering from and why she was mourning and why she needed to go to a different place, a place with memories. Um, but yeah, the, the, it was very much key. I think as soon as she thought of the location, it was very much wrapped around the story. So yeah, they're, they're very intrinsic to each other. And you do feel like you're walking through the streets with her, which is amazing. Do you remember what it was like 20 years ago?
0: Yes. Four, ten, six.
2: Yeah, like that ever got us anywhere.
0: Where were you? I don't know. I don't remember much these days. Are hey, you coming back? I think one falls in love with the place and has to keep on coming back. Yeah, I think you might be right.
1: <laughs> so, look, my next choice, and this is a, a very recent film, uh, like Luxor, I was, and it, but it struck me, I, it was a film I really liked, not everybody did, it got some great critical responses, not from everybody, is um, the Sofia Coppola film On the Rocks. Mm-hmm. And for me, everything that I loved about On the Rocks, and I've seen it a couple of times now, was it was a lockdown movie in which the two characters travelled with gay abandon around New York, going in and out of buildings, going into bars and not socially distancing, going into sort of fabulously upmarket apartments and lofts and not socially distancing, walking up and down staircases and not socially (laughs) distancing. And it was really odd that while I was watching the film, because obviously it came out during lockdown, and... um, you know, obviously you're well aware of this. There was a period when the industry was kind of figuring out whether or not it was okay to release movies to streaming. Does it somehow devalue them? They got over that quite quickly and they thought, no, they've got to be released anyway. But for me, I I don't know whether I would have loved that movie as much as I did if I hadn't been so absolutely intoxicated simply by the sight of two people running around uptown, you know, upmarket new york upmarket manhattan and having you know because we were meant to be going to america before the thing happened literally just before the first lockdown happened and then it didn't happen so we didn't see the people that we know there we didn't see the people we know and i you know i've been there quite a few times i love it i'm kind of again i'm intoxicated but i wouldn't want to live there but you know i, I like visiting much nicer now of course that the you know 45 is gone um, and they actually have a civilized uh, president but i just thought because so much of that film is to do with location. I know it's a very kind of uh, upmarket version of it. You know, it's not, you know, slums and degradation. It's, it's 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 you know, very, very ritzy bars. and But I just, honestly, Anna, I loved it. I just, and everything about the cinematography and the music and the way in which it was this very kind of, I mean, I think there was depth to that about the father daughter relationships and everything and what it said about men and women but i just spent the first time i watched it i just spent the whole time just looking at the buildings and looking at the rooms and thinking i just love new york and i want to be in this film getting in bill murray's car being driven by him with a bag full of champagne and caviar which he gets stopped for you know i it was it that was traveling by armchair for me
2: it's interesting, isn't it? Because I liked the film, but I think you're right. I probably liked it more because of when I watched it and it was quite early days, wasn't it? And, and it was a real sense of, oh, that's what life's meant to be like, you know, just <laughs> super civilised and lovely. And she does have such a wonderful sense of place and leisurely taking it all in. Um, yeah, that's a good choice.
1: And, and also, I mean, the thing is, it, it was that, the treatiness of it. I mean, like just the other day, right, I went to the dump we had a booking to go to the dump right this was my day out i went to the dump i had a booking to go and i was allowed to go out and i went to the dump and i came back and trying to get that in. was you know. that was what on the rocks felt like <laughs> you know i got out of the house i was in i was with them for that time and also because i do i mean i love new york anyway in the same way but same as everybody else you know from from uh, the uk i imagine you fall in love with it through the movies first and then you go and see it and everywhere you walk, it's like, it's a movie. It's like, that's the Abel Ferrara film. And that's the, you know, it's everything you recognize, you recognize from the movies. And I say, I, I do think it's a good film. I think it's a better film than people gave it credit for, but I don't think I would have fallen in love with it quite as much if it hadn't been for where it was set and how much it clearly loved where it was set.
0: Hi dad. Hey, it all.
2: Oh my gosh, do you look
0: beautiful? How's your mom's hip? Good things. Good. He thinks you're my girlfriend, Grace. Right. Been busy. Yeah, Dean's traveling with clients all the time, and I'm just the buzzkill waiting to schedule things. Just, I'm so stuck. So Dean's going away a lot, huh? On business trips. Dad. Raise your hand if that sounds fishy. He's not like you. He's a good guy, a great dad.
1: Sure. It's nature. Males are forced to fight,
0: to dominate, and to impregnate all females. Maybe he's just not interested in me anymore. Impossible. For women that are most beautiful between the ages of 35 and 39. Great. So I have many months left. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today.
1: So, your number three.
2: Well, there is a strong connection to your last choice. Would you, okay, like, cool. would you like to guess what my number three is?
1: Well, it, it's set in New York?
2: No, but there's another very strong connection
1: Sophia Coppola or Bill Murray? Oh, is it Bill Murray?
2: It is both. So okay, so it's,
1: uh, it's uh, fine. So it's lost in translation. It
2: is indeed. That's not one of your choices, then?
1: Nope. No. 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 We're good. But okay, well done. We're good. That's, I'm, I'm glad it was. that's great. <laughs> I it might okay. be?
2: That was the one I thought we might coincide on. Possibly. No. 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 I
1: love that film. But... Yeah,
2: it's a great film, isn't it? I was watching it again today, and you know, I, I haven't been to Tokyo, and I would absolutely love to. And even though they don't go much further than a block, really. I mean, most of the action obviously happens in the hotel, but also yeah. a karaoke bar. And as you know, Mark, I love karaoke, so that's a nice bit of virtual fun for me to have watching this film. And um yeah, I mean it's it's a tremendous film. And and again, it gets you that sense of what it's like and that memory of what it's like to check into a hotel, to have jet lag, to not to feel a bit listless but also a bit culturally out of place. And then meeting someone that you connect with, I think that film does it so brilliantly.
1: I if I remember rightly, we were in Rotterdam at the Rotterdam Film Festival. Yes. And I believe I—I I mean, so much of what happened in the last, you know, couple of years now feels like a dream. But this was just before lockdown, wasn't it? That we went to Rotterdam, it's January, yeah, January, yeah. And I remember that you took us to a karaoke bar, <laughs> in which you performed, you performed some some quite big number, and it went down an absolute storm. Can you remember what it was that you sang? Gosh,
2: um- Let's say that's exactly how it went down. I think Hedda (laughs) took us to the bar, but I I always insist on going up, as as you know. Um, I think we did actually sing Girls on Film as a group, um, which wow. I think you might have actually left by that point, have, me having failed to persuade you to do
1: karaoke. I don't do karaoke.
2: I don't do karaoke. <laughs> that's what you said at the time. No, exactly. I don't do karaoke. So you're it's a just, professional just... singer. I'm an amateur, you know. This is my chance, is karaoke.
1: No, <laughs> i tell you, I tell you what, it's, it's, it's nothing to do with that. I mean, honestly, I, I saw you perform a song, you perform like an absolute treat oh. but I, I, can't, I can't do it because I have I have done karaoke uh in in New York once, um, and I nearly got killed. And I just thought, okay, I'm never going to do that again because I what I can't get is the measure of it. I can't. I take it too seriously, and then when you take it too seriously, you just get uptight, and then it's not fun because everybody just worries about the fact that you look anxious. And I remember Aww. you going on stage, and you just looked like you were born on stage. <laughs> You look like Alan Jones or something. You're like, kind of like, you know, here I am. I'm fabulous. Pass me the microphone. I was so impressed.
2: It was fun. I can't remember what the song was because, coincidentally, some other girls had um, put it up. But we all went up and I ended up singing the harmonies. And it felt like, yeah, that was friendly karaoke. No one no, yeah. you know, was beating anyone yeah. up there. It was great fun.
1: Have you ever been to the place in Japan where, um, where Lost in Translation happens to so that hotel? no. Have you been, you've been to Tokyo?
2: No, I haven't. As I was saying, I would love to go. And it's, it's very, very high on the list. And so this one is a real kind of dream for me. Um, you know, I really, really would love to go to Japan in general because I understand that there are places outside of Tokyo. The countryside looks amazing. Yeah. Um, have you well,
1: been? I, I, I have been to Tokyo a couple of times, actually, and not to that hotel. But one of the, the greatest memories of my life was drinking ice-cold Sapporo out in, in the top one of the top rooms in a tower hotel that a friend of ours, Tommy, who is Japanese, had managed to get us into because she knew the manager or you know, it's all like, you know, she knew him and something. And there was a there was a a, a lightning storm over Tokyo. Wow. And all the neon was on and it was the night time and the lightning was coming down and I was drinking ice cold Sprite. and I just thought I'm I'm in Blade Runner and I just, this is this is just the most unbelievably cinematic thing. Oh, you'd love it, Annie, you'd absolutely love it
2: that's probably the first place I'm going to go when I can fingers crossed
1: yeah okay so look, I'm going amazing. to go to New. I'll go to New Zealand and you can go to Japan that's a deal and then,
0: okay so what are you doing here a couple of things taking a break from my wife forgetting my son's birthday and uh, getting paid two million dollars to endorse a whiskey when I could be doing a play somewhere oh But the good news is the whiskey works.
1: (laughs) All right. So on to now my number three, because that was your number three, wasn't it? My Mm -hmm. number three. So my number three, this is a bit of a cheat. My number three is actually set in space, but, but there's a very specific reason for it being set in space. My number three is silent running, which is my favorite science fiction film of all time. Actually one of my favorite movies of all time. And, Silent Running makes me think of Cornwall. And the reason is because Silent Running is set in these geodesic domes that are out in space where the last of Earth's forests have been, you know, sent off. Plot doesn't make any sense, incidentally. He's like, why don't you just put them into orbit? Why are they flying out towards Saturn? Anyway, but the geodesic domes are based on a structure that is reproduced in the Eden Project. And the Eden Project, for anyone who hasn't been there, is one of the wonders of the world. It is this in- just incredible place in Cornwall, which I think is the, the most beautiful place anyway. These geodesic dome structures in which all this plantation grows in these extraordinary kind of conditions. And I, when I, I wrote a book about Silent Running and we had the launch for it uh, at the Eden Project... And I recently did a just a, a video message for their birthday, and I realized that I'd been away from it for you know long. I mean, I've been away from Cornwall, if all the all the time. This is all going on, and I you know we usually go to Cornwall a lot. And I've really missed it, and I've really missed the Eden Project. And I remember thinking, well, it's okay, I can watch Silent Running, and I can kind of get a little bit of that back because every time I walk into the Eden Project, it's like I'm walking into Silent Running. And it's it's a mag- it's a magical place, and that film I saw it when I was young, and it really touched me, and it really broke my heart. And you know I've got the little model drones on the you know standing around the thing, and it's just it's a film that means so much to me. And and I just for me, Silent Running is as much about Cornwall as it is about being in outer space because it just it just makes me think of the eden project and the beauty of those domes and the kind of it's like a real life science fiction film and as i said i think it is genuinely one of the wonders of the world have you seen silent runner i
2: have and i watched it again recently last year actually oh, wow. and yeah absolutely love it i agree because i was getting into a phase of watching those kind of things again because it felt very topical last year um, and i'm also a big fan of the geodesic dome Buck, buckminster fuller you know amazing love all that um so i but i haven't actually been to the eden project so I really, really want to go because it sounds it's like great. I can live a sci-fi movie by going
1: there. It, it's really great. I mean, it's a shame because it's in one of the in-betweeners movies, which is not good. <laughs> um, and I, I, But I kind of feel like it's, you know, it's, I've been there were gigs there and you, you just go there for the day with your, your family or, or on your own. It, it is the kind of place that you can really lose yourself. You really feel like you are somewhere else. And I think partly because the, the domes are so beautiful. I mean, they are really beautiful structures. They look solid, but somehow kind of, you know, like bubbles. They're almost like somebody's just kind of blown them up like bubbles. And, uh, yeah, it's it's really magical. And when you get there, because you have to come in from the top, there's a bit when you can't see the domes, and then you come round the kind of ridge of the hill, and you first see the domes. It's like the most every single time. I mean, people always say it about the Eiffel Tower or... um, you know the what's the gallery in in, in Paris with the Pompidou Centre The,
2: the Pompidou Ooh, yeah. Center,
1: thank you so I'm completely ignorant but you know the big blue one that's on the front of the Jean-Jacques Bonnell album that one um, people always talk about the first time you see it it's, it takes your breath away and then every single time you see it it still takes your breath away because you can't quite get your head around it well that's how I feel about the Eden Project and that's how I feel about Silent Running
0: Silent Running <laughs> Cataclysm in Outer Space every moment bringing its own danger as man explores the mysteries of an unknown and limitless universe.
1: Valley Forge, Valley Forge, what the hell's wrong? You're moving out,
0: you're accelerating. I've got a premature detonation on dome number two and I've got an explosion in the main cargo deck. Now, please advise me immediately. Give me Barker? I can't find Barker, I can't find Wolf or Keenan either. I'm afraid, Neil, that they might have been in dome number two. Dome number one. Meet the almost human drones, amazing companions on a journey beyond the stars.
1: <laughs> the man has a full house and he knew
0: it. I about that. Hear Joan Baez sing Rejoice in the Sun and Silent Running.
1: Into the top two, Anna.
2: I'm going back in time to Woodstock, Three Days of Peace and Music.
1: Wow, (laughs) that's a bold choice.
2: (laughs) Well, the reason being, again, it's another kind of personal thing. I'm a huge fan of arts and music festivals, and every year I love to go to a festival. Um, I've been to Burning Man a few times, and I would have loved to have been at Woodstock. Um, and this is obviously it's not necessarily about the location but it's about the vibe, it's about the people and this you know, Oscar winning documentary um, there's a four hours director's cut available if you want to see it, um, yeah. s- some incredible psychedelic bands but not just, you know, there's Crosby, Seals and is all over, The, the Who um, obviously Jefferson Airplane but what I like about this as well is it's not just about the artists, you get to see the crazy people on the sidelines and people just having the time of their life and it's just a little bit of a flashback in time which i i i welcome at the moment and i'm hoping i will actually get to some festivals this summer
1: okay i'm really surprised for, for you to choose woods it's a brilliant choice but i'm really surprised for a couple of reasons the first one is um i mean i you know i love uh small festivals okay small is is is, is great for me you know like uh latitude i can you know that's okay and fine mm-hmm. and uh board masters, that's okay that's fine big festivals, big crowds scare the living daylights out of me. And when we were doing secrets of cinema or on pop movies, we did a bit about um, festival movies. And obviously we talked about Woodstock and I was going back and watching it again. I was thinking two things. Firstly, nobody in the audience had the kind of view that you get in Woodstock, the film. Okay. Cause in Woodstock, the film, there's all these people with the camera. You can see everything. You can hear everything. It's really great, but it's not that big of a PA, right? I mean, 50 yards back. Can they hear what's going on? And the other thing is you're absolutely right. Right the 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 attraction of that film isn't the bands on stage it's everybody else and you remember the mud sliding you remember all the the kind of now that to me is like my idea of hell is being complete you know you can't get to the toilets you can't get to a shower you can't shut the door because i'm I'm a kind of, you know, I'm a kind of homey kind of guy. And we 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 kind of juxtapose that with my favourite concert movie, which is Gimme Shelter, which is the Rolling Stones at Ultimont, which I think is actually one of the most horrifying movies ever made. Genuinely, genuinely terrifying. And pretty much sums up why really big crowds scare me. And so I'm, what I'm really impressed by is that I think you have an optimism of spirit if you see Woodstock and you think this is great because I see Woodstock and I think I can't get out. I really? can't get out. <laughs> really?
2: no, I mean, I'm not saying that the mudslide is my favourite part of a festival. You know, I, I, did, <laughs> I didn't stay very long in Glastonbury in 97 or whatever it was um, for that reason. And I do generally prefer a small festival, but what's great about this one, as you say, is that you can experience it without having to leave your living room. Yes. And um, yeah. and apparently it did, it did incredibly well in cinemas, as, as, as you know, and the people, people were dancing around, you know, in the aisles and, and singing and clapping. And I, and I love that sense of that community experience that it brought to people the festival spirit you know
1: but crucially Anna people were dancing in the aisles and then if they wanted to go to the moon wash their hands (laughs) it was literally just up the aisle and that's why it's the perfect (laughs) thing I've played Glastonbury okay twice the best way of seeing Glastonbury is on television you know from your I did the I I did the worst television I ever did when in 1990 something when the, the rights to Glastonbury were still owned by Channel 4 I was one of the Channel 4 presenting team presenting Channel 4 Goes to Glastonbury. And it was Mark Radcliffe, Mark Riley, Katie Puckrick and me. Dream team. Mark, Mark Riley, brilliant. Mark uh, Mark Radcliffe, brilliant. Katie Puckrick, absolutely brilliant. Me, I literally look like somebody dying. And there's a thing that goes on over the over the course of the weekend that Katie, who's just fantastic. I mean, just she's like... A, unbelievable you literally go go give okay i want 20 seconds go and she goes bam and she does this thing and she's smart and she's funny and she's and i look like lurch i look like somebody who has literally been struck by lightning and it's the worst television i ever did and i'll never do it again at the end of it malcolm geary who was one of the producers who was the guy that russell Crowe famously held up against the wall at the baftas after he cut his poem from his acceptance speech Malcolm Geary said to me, let's never do that again. And I said, yeah, Malcolm, let's never do that again. Every now and then we bump into each other in Soho and we say, remember that? Let's never do that again. Testing, testing. One, two,
0: three. Woodstock, the 40th anniversary limited edition revisited. Look for it on Blu-ray. Witness the four-hour director's cut in high definition. People try to put us... Music has always been a major form of communication. It's about what's happening now. With over four and a half hours of bonus content, including new, never-before-seen performances. It's a pre-concert from now on. This
1: is the largest group of people ever assembled in one place.
0: Once you got in, you
1: didn't leave. Okay, so I'm going to go completely the other way. So my number two is The Exorcist. (laughs) And the reason it's The Exorcist is because The Exorcist is a film that is absolutely set in its location. And its location is Georgetown. And the movie takes place, I mean, obviously it begins in Iraq, and I've, I have never been to uh, to Iraq. But that, the area that the film takes place in, in Georgetown, is pretty much a square mile. And in that square mile is every significant location from the film. And I had, seen that film so many times and to the point that, you know, I kind of knew it inside out. And then when I got married, my unbelievably accommodating uh, uh, wife, partner, you know, girlfriend and then wife after we got married, Linda, we were going to America and I said, look, can we, can we, she went, you want us to go to Georgetown for our honeymoon? I said, well, no, not for our whole honeymoon, but I'd like, you know, as we're going from, well, can we, so we did. And so she tolerated on her honeymoon, her idiot husband going, "It's the steps. Look, it's the steps. Look, it's Prospect Street. Look, it's the tombs. Look, it's Georgetown University. Look, it's the it's the corner that Chris McNeil turns at. Look, it's the bit where Damien Castle. And honestly, uh, there was one. I'm I'm not kidding this. There was one point in my life at the, the, at my the height of my delusions that I actually thought if I win the lottery or I somehow overnight become rich. I'm going to buy the house on Prospect Street and I'm just going to... I'm going to go and live in it. And it, okay, why? I mean, for a start, it doesn't... The house doesn't look anything like the house because it's got an extension built on the side of it. But that, honestly, even to this day, walking to Georgetown... And you go to Georgetown and there are tourists there all the time because of the Exorcist locations. And, of course, Exorcist 3 was filmed in the same place on those steps all the time day and night there are people on those steps and in fact one of my favorite stories about it was I was good friends with Bill Blatty who wrote The Exorcist and and once he had agreed to me he left he lived in Maryland so not so far away um and he I said look Bill I'm gonna I'm passing through do you want to meet up and he said sure And where? where I said look would you humor me right can we go to georgetown he went really and i went yeah yeah show me where you used to live and walk me around the locations and do the thing okay he went all right fine so he did and he took me to he said this is where i lived and that was where I right and this was the steps and this was the thing and this i knew all this stuff anyway but it was just lovely to hear bill say it and then i said can we go to the steps and bill kind of rolled his eyes and he went oh, all right and we went to the steps and at the steps there was loads and loads of tourists taking photographs Photo a lot of Japanese tourists actually you know because it's quite a big sort of you know movie location and they're very big on movie locations and Bill and I were standing there and 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 because nobody knows who Bill is right you know they don't regular. and then this person came up and went excuse me and I thought here we go and he said would you take a picture of me and my friend and Bill went sure and I said can I tell them and Bill said no So Bill took a picture of these people and somewhere in the world, there are two people who'd made a pilgrimage to go to the Exorcist location and they have a photograph of themselves on the steps. And what they don't know is that that photograph was taken by the guy who wrote the book.
2: Amazing. Imagine if they were listening now and they figured it out. (laughs) That would be fantastic. Wow. You really, really do love that film.
1: And I love that place, And I, I mean, you know... But would you it's, love it's, it,
2: if it if it hadn't... Would you love it anyway, that place, if the film hadn't been made there?
1: But it, but that's a kind of, you know, I can't answer that question because I didn't even know it existed before yeah. the film. I mean, to me, it is a film set. Every single... It's so... I mean, it's, you know, it, it's so cinematic. And, of course... Blatty had insisted that it was shot there, that that's where they did all. I mean, the interior stuff is done somewhere else, but that it was all shot there. That was his absolute condition was that story had to be done on those streets. And I, you know, every time I go there and I, it's not the feeling that I get from it is melancholy and nostalgia. And, and you know, uh, I, I'm so attached to that place because of that film. And, And there's not a single time that I've arrived there and I've been there a lot now that I haven't just thought, I just want to live here. I just want to walk around these streets and just live here because it's. it would be like if you were a Star Wars obsessive walking onto the Millennium Falcon and going like Harrison Ford, you know, Chewie, we're home.
2: Yeah, I mean, if I could walk into Hill Valley... Um, from Back to the Future, than I would. You know, I would be very, <laughs> very excited about that if that was a real place. So, and I, I've, I've been to places that look a bit like it, and I got quite excited. So, I think it's a yeah. What what the if the film that grabbed you when you were young and that you're obsessed with? I think yeah, it just has yeah. that magic. I totally get it.
0: Are you comfortable, Reagan? Yes. How old are you? Twelve. Is there someone inside you? Sometimes. Who is it? I don't know. Is it Captain Howdy? I don't know. If I ask him to tell me, will you let him answer? No. Why not? I'm afraid. If he talks to me, I think he'll leave you. Do you want him to leave you? Yes.
1: Okay, so, to your number one spot then.
2: My number one is from 2008 and it's in Bruges.
1: Ooh, wow, very good choice. (sighs) Okay, tell us about it.
2: Well, I absolutely adore this film. Obviously, um, beautifully dark humour, Colin Farrell and Brennan Gleeson, fantastic together, Martin McDonough, I just like his script, is hilarious. But what's great about it is it really is almost like an advert for, for Bruges. It is it is a stunning, <laughs> beautiful medieval city, and this really shows it off. And, and what's nice is, is that that very cynical sense of humour is sort of contrasted with the absolutely gorgeous locations. Um, and, of course, the script really aids that contrast because Ray, played by, played by Corin Farrell, only wants to really go and drink beer, which a lot of people want to do anyway, of course, and I, w- <laughs> I would do um, a little bit, but also Ken, played by Brennan, and does, he does want to take in all the sites and go to the churches. And he, he's very, very cultured. It's like at least he wants to be very cultured. Um, so you see both sides of it. You see the party side and you see the, the, the sort of touristy side um, while th- this incredible thriller is, is playing out, this great dark comedy. So it's a very sophisticated film that does a lot of things and it kind of stops in on all the hotspots of
1: Bruges. And there's this lovely central idea that because, you know, Colin Farrell has gone there, something terrible is going to happen. You know, he's gone there because something terrible has happened and something terrible is going to happen. And somehow, Brendan Gleeson's idea is, well, okay, so I want to make his last few days nice. And he thinks, you know, how can you not love Bruges? What is there not to love about it? And I I, I absolutely agree that that thing about, it's the juxtaposition between, on the one hand, the kind of almost chocolate box thing about Bruges, which is similar to... Um, like Strasbourg, there was Strasbourg Film Festival, you walk around Strasbourg, it's like walking around Beauty and the Beast. I mean, it's, you know, it is that same thing that you can't quite believe it's real. You turn a corner and there's a huge Gothic church or it's yeah. all kind of... But that weird juxtaposition of that and then Colin Farrell being qu- quite as abrasive as he <laughs> is, the whole encounter in the restaurant about smoking, which is still, I think, one of the most aggressive scenes i've ever seen
2: yeah i mean really it it is completely it's you know credit to everyone involved that that is even watchable because it is so offensive in so many ways but it is actually also funny and entertaining but it really yeah pushes it um but that is apparently one of the the loveliest restaurants in bruges and you can go and visit it which i intend to do one day <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay so your bucket list of places that you have to go to are tokyo yeah in Bruges. Bruges,
2: and I. Okay. Have, yeah, and I. Well, obviously, I can't go to Woodstock, sadly. And I've been to New Zealand, but I will be going again.
1: Have you? But, but you can go to the. I mean, and of course, the thing about Woodstock is it isn't Woodstock, right? Woodstock is actually Woodstock Festival. Actually, isn't in Woodstock because no. there's the Ang Lee film, isn't there, about Woodstock?
2: Yes. Yes. And
1: and it's somewhere elsewhere. I mean, would you would you have any interest in going to where it was just to look at the field?
2: No, I wouldn't, <laughs> I'd to say. So are you saying I've cheated a little bit with the brief here?
1: No, no, you haven't okay, cheated again. at all. It's, I mean, it's, no, it's, I'm, just, I'm, kinda, yeah. I'm just sort of really fascinated by that idea that you fall in love with places through movies yeah. and then some, you, you can go there or you cannot go there. As I said, I'm never going to go into outer space in Silent Running, but I still think I am going to do it in, you know, where, when I go to the Eden Project.
0: Been to the top of the tower? Yeah. Yeah, it's rubbish. It is? Well, guidebook says it's a must-see. Well, you lot ain't going up there. Pardon me? Why? I mean... It's all windy stairs, I'm, I'm not being funny. What exactly are you trying to say? What exactly am I trying to say? These are a bunch of fucking elephants. Come on, leave it, Fazzy You know you're just the rudest man. The rudest man.
1: What's all that about? I'm not go up there? Hey, uh, guys, I wouldn't go up there. It's really narrow.
0: Screw you, my
1: Americans, isn't it? So, OK, so my number one choice is it's somewhere that I've been, although technically you can't actually be there because through the magic of movies, it's not one place. It is, in the movie, one place, which is a village with a beach, and in real life, the two are far apart and it's local hero local hero is the film that i you know i go back to all the time as kind of the lodestone the kind of you know the the comfort food the the security blanket and it the story is that i mean bill forsyth described it he said it's it's his brigadoon meets apocalypse now that that an american from an oil company gets sent to this remote village that he has to scout out because this oil company Want to buy it and turn it into an oil refinery, and while he's there, he falls in love with it. this is the Brigadoon thing. He falls in love with it. What he doesn't realise is that the villagers know he's coming, and you know, like whiskey galore, they've got the better of him. They just want a really good price for it. They don't care about the village at all. They want they want to get you know money out of it. And there's the village which is in Penan, and then there's the beach which is actually on the other side of the coast. It's a very long way away. And the movie is all done on a kind of, you know, an artificial construction. So the actual place you cannot go to. But I did a a culture show piece from Pennon when they'd had a landslide and it, it wiped out the village hall and they had rebuilt the village hall. And uh, through some completely weird twist of fate, we managed to organize that to reopen the village hall, we would do a screening of local hero with Bill Forsyth in attendance. And, and so we we went to Pennant and the village is the village I mean it's the village in the same way as everyone always says that the prisoner you know the village you go there it actually is the village well Pennant is the village there is a phone box there it's actually not the phone box that they used in the film because it was in the wrong place but there is a phone box there and for ages and ages people used to ring that phone box because they had a phone number that you could find out apparently the phone box was just ringing (laughs) the whole time with people doing the end of Local Hero and ringing it as you drive in the high street, it's totally recognisable. There's the, you know, the dock is the same. You can smell the air and you just walk into it. And everything about it is, is exactly as you imagine it in the movie. And the great joy of it is that now when I watch the movie, I, you know, you feel like you're in two places at once. I feel like I'm actually there. And there's a picture of me with my arm round Bill Forsyth on the pier next to the phone box, which isn't the phone box. And then we went to the pub, which is down, the, which is which isn't in the village. It's a way off, where there's where all the stuff in the pub happens. And you know, again, I did that thing, but you know, I took pictures of me and him sitting where the two main characters should sit. It was pathetic. I mean, I, I was there on a job. I was working, but I was just the world's worst fanboy. I mean, I kept bursting into tears. I Aww. literally kept bursting into tears because I was so. I was so delighted to be in this place that didn't exist, but actually kind of did. And I think that that's one of the reasons that movie locations work for me. It's like the Straw Dogs house in Cornwall. It is the house, but it isn't the house. Mm. You are there, but you aren't there. It's real, but it's not. And I think it's, it's kind of uncanny, isn't it? If you, you go to a movie location, it's kind of uncanny.
2: Yeah, it's kind of exciting, isn't it? Because you're revisiting the movie. I mean, I'm I'm a fan of the secret cinema experience, which kind of does that for you anyway, you know, kind of recreates it for you. You're on a set, yeah. but you're not on a set. You're in the film, but you're not in the film. And it, it takes it one step further to actually go to the location. Maybe you can still feel the spirit of the movie there somehow.
1: Okay, that's what I think. I mean, that's genuinely what I think. Mm. I think you can feel it, and I... And I I get that in Georgetown, and I get it in I get, certainly get it in Penn and it's That whole thing about I can conf- I, I keep thinking I'm going to turn around, and one of the characters from the film is is literally going to walk down the street, even though I know that 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 character isn't a isn't a character. It's a, you know it's an actor who's now 40 years older or however much longer it is, and doesn't live there anyway. And uh, but I just. It's funny the way that movies just do that to you, but what's great is I can watch Local Hero at any time and I will be transported to that beach. And at that moment, at the end of Local Hero, when he's back in his apartment and it's cold and industrial and he's, you know, he's lost, Brigadoon is lost and then he rings and then it cuts back. And you just see the phone box ringing, and you just and it is that sense of you can do that with the movie. You can put the video in, mm. and you can just be back in that village. And you can when you get to the end of it, you can just put it on again. And I've watched that film twice. You know, you get to the end. Of it, I'm sorry, I'm just starting again. Really? <laughs> I'm just starting again. Yeah, and I love the soundtrack. I love everything about. And I, it's the place. It's the sense of place. It's mm. it's you know. I think it's really interesting that two of the films I love the most are absolutely wedded to their to their sense of place. You know, and. Uh, yeah, it's the magic of the movies and it's the magic. I, I kind of, I feel like in this conversation that we've had, we've, we've gone travelling. You've gone rather further afield than I have, although in, in fairness, I did go into outer space.
2: Yeah, okay, you but, win. Uh, I did consider yeah. outer space, so I didn't know. <laughs> but yeah, I'm glad that you went there. You can take that one.
1: So Anna, um, because we are towards the end of lockdown now, hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, all that stuff. Let me close by asking you, what are you most looking forward to being able to do?
2: Well, obviously, go back to the cinema, (laughs) number one. I mean, I have really missed the big screen experience. Uh, You know, I was lucky enough to go a few times last year. But, of course, just going out and actually seeing friends and having human contact outside of Zoom will be very exciting. So, yeah, yeah, really pleased to be able to do that. And, I, you know, now we've travelled the world this way, I'm very happy just to have some UK holidays, weekends away, enjoy the British summer. So that'll do me fine. Go visit some friends. How about
1: you? Well, my big thing is I want to go to the pub. I mean, it's pathetic, but I just want to go to the pub.
2: Actually, I'm glad you you said that. I wanted to say that, but then I thought I sound like (laughs) an alcoholic. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to going to the pub.
1: (laughs) just want to walk into a pub and walk up to a bar and go, quite the best. You know, I mean, it's pathetic, but that's what I want to do. But you know what you're going to
2: have to do is get online and book it two weeks in advance, though. That's the trouble. (laughs) (laughs) You can't just walk in.
1: (laughs) I think that's one of the reasons why I like... um, you know, uh, short of the dead because because the, the, what's the the answer? To everything is go to the pub, just go to the Winchester. That'll work, you know. Anyway, analysts, and listen, thanks ever so much. Been a real pleasure having you on the show, and uh, please come back again and, and do it again. And uh, people can find uh, the Girls on Film podcast at all your usual podcast outlets. I look forward to seeing you in the flesh. I'll buy you a pint when I- we're next in the same place. Um, thanks ever so much for listening to this. If you've enjoyed it, uh, tell your friends, subscribe, do all the usual stuff. You can go to our Patreon page. Where there is video stuff including I think a video of this in which Anna looks fabulous and I look like I'm about 110 um, and uh, as I said uh, do listen to the Girls on Film podcast it's, it's a top listen, thanks, stay safe keep watching the skies